everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today, finally, yay, on the show is Hannah Duncan, a very well-known writer in fintech and ESG space. And I'm hoping that by the time the episode is released, we will finally get to meet in person. I cannot wait. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi, thank you for having me. This is so amazing. Um, for those of you who have not followed Hannah, please do because she's she uh-huh. writes. She just writes. She just keeps writing. I don't know how she does that. Um, but it's it's amazing. And your articles are just good food for the soul. So thank you so much. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Good and bad of being a freelance writer. You are always very upfront about it. I remember seeing the post uh, coming from even just a few months ago or last year. You were very vocal about, you know, the ups and downs of having, shall we say, unpredictable, uh, uh, you know, opportunities. And given where we are with respect to the fintech industry as well, we have tons of friends who, you know, are on and off. They're working, Mm -hmm. they're not working. So, If someone were to ask you, hey, I need some help. What do I need to be able to do in order to do what you do? Um, It it takes a lot. Um, What would you tell them? Curious. Oh, my God. Uh, Well, I hope I'm allowed to say this, but you need massive balls. (laughs) Like, you need to be really, really, really brave. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. It's it's perfect. I will not okay. use that as the title of the episode, but um, it, you, you, you are absolutely right. But jokes That's aside, crazy. though, right? It, it it does take courage, but you do more than that because you write under your your own brand. You also write for others, um, which again, I don't know how you do that. I think that would drive me nuts. How did you find your voice? Because you have you're very specific in the things that you do and things that you're passionate and care about. Um, how did that come about? Uh, well, so I actually come from investment management, right? And I spent like the first six years of my career um, being like very quiet in the office. Um, a kind of, yeah, like a young woman in finance, not really allowed to say anything. And so the first half, I was a foreign young woman as well. So I didn't really say a lot, but I definitely saw a lot. And I saw, you know, I saw what these bankers are like. I saw what they're doing. And I just think if someone doesn't call them out, then it's not going to change. So, yeah, I do have to be, like, quite professional, especially when I'm ghostwriting or writing for really big publications. But if I get any opportunity to say, like, guys, this is what's really happening, like, let's not kid ourselves here. These are the people that we've got in charge. I'm always going to say it because that's the responsibility of the press, right? The free press is that we have a duty to tell the truth. And I'm one of the, I consider myself to be one of the very few people in a position to do that because I come from that industry. I did my dissertation in greenwashing um, and I don't have a boss and I do have a platform. So if not me, then who, right? And if not now, then when? So Let's get on with it. (laughs) That's what I think. And it is a bit scary, but you've just got to do it really, haven't you? Wow. Um, 
That's a lot to digest. And you're right. It's the responsibility of the press. And you have the power that the pen, the keyboard, that is your power to to tell the story as you see it, not to um, paint it in a particular, um, shall we say, um, make it look prettier. <laughs> than, yeah, than I mean, that's why I have my blog, you know. Nobody pays me for it because if anyone paid me for it, then I might be, like, corrupt. So I write my blog for free, like, in my own time just because it's so important that this information gets out there. So probably, probably lots of people haven't heard me, but I write about greenwashing and I try to expose like banks and companies who say that they're saving the planet or that they're behaving in an environmental, social governance way. And then they take our money and then they make the planet worse. That's greenwashing. And that's what I write about. And I try and call it out because like nobody nobody's going to pay you to write about that like everyone wants to keep it quiet so you need people who've been in the industry who understand it and who are not getting paid by anyone with their own platform otherwise you know it's never ever gonna get out there and that's how I started was just with a blog it was just me and a blog on my own and from there I managed to get like basically a whole career It reminds me of um, a recent report that I read from Reuters that talked about all the countries that pledged sums of money for climate action to try to make things better. But then if you dig deeper, the question becomes, wait, is building a hotel part of saving the planet? Um, What about opening retail stores and stuff like that? There's so much ambiguity and mm. transparency, lack of, that you're right. You know, people don't ask and they're happy and say, oh, you know, X and X say they're going to do Y, but no one ever goes back and say, did you actually do what you said you were going to do and how do you account for it? Um, the sad part is they might think they're playing numbers, games, mm. but the planet is not getting better. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Like 40 trillion in ESG assets on the the planet is like just not getting better. For me, I think it's more the other way around. I think that ordinary investors, like um, people on the street, you know, like my mum, those kind of people, they might think they'll see a fund, which is called like sustainable. And they'll think, oh, great, that's going to save the planet. It's going to plant trees, right? And that's what they think, or ESG. But then actually, if you like read the small print and you drill down really deep into these ESG funds, you'll see that like for a lot of them, it's actually just like, you know, governance, like how many women are on the board or, you know, really, really small things like, oh, you know, we put a a ventilator in a factory. That was H&M, for example. And they do qualify as ESG because the metrics to be an ESG company are quite low. So they wouldn't, they're not like lying, you know, they are ESG and they are doing what they say they're going to do. But for me, the lie is what customers think that they're paying for and what they're actually getting. There's a huge gap in the middle. Like I would even call it like the green gap, even more so than greenwashing. Yikes. Um, Yeah. Right. Like we are invested, me and you, we're probably invested in like, so much oil and I like try really hard not to be invested in any fossil fuels and 
because I'm only in ESG funds, right? And yet I know it's not possible. I know that loads of my money will be going to them, even though I hate them. And there's not really a lot I can do about it. There's not a lot we can do about it. That's the sad part. I do wish there are more options for consumer. I wish there is more information for consumers. I am convinced that a lot of people want to do good. We just don't know how we can go about doing it, right? Just like what you were saying, the matrix, the bar is so low. And mm. even day-to-day spending, right? You know, you gravitate towards a specific retailer because you think that they might be doing good. But all of that is under direct. We have no idea exactly how good are they or if they are truly doing good. Um, and I think this is where I remember someone else mentioned this quite a while ago. For food, we have nutritional labels that talk about mm-hmm. how much sugar and salt and carbs and all of that. We need that for our spending. We need that for our statement. If I'm spending money with a particular company, when I get my credit card bills, I would love to know what is my personal carbon footprint? What can I do yeah. better? Um, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah. The, do you know what? I actually don't think that this is on the consumer. Um, like the whole concept of like your carbon calculator was actually created by BP, was created by BP. I think it was in 2004. They employed a PR company. Yeah, I know. And they created the carbon calculator and they kind of pushed the guilt from themselves onto the consumer. And that's when this whole thing really started. It was a big trend where individual people thought, oh, it's my fault. I'm not washing enough yogurt pots, you know. But the truth is, like, your yogurt pot doesn't matter. Like, your personal carbon footprint, honestly, it's not even a drop in the ocean, what needs to change are the big companies like Coca-Cola, for example, saying they said, like, I think it was two years ago that they're not going to um, switch to like alternative plastics because people don't want it. But those are the companies that need to change. You know, we don't actually have a choice. When we go to the supermarket, we're presented with the options we're presented with. And unless you're extremely rich or you have a lot of time you can't do anything except the, the options that you're given because the consumer is fairly powerless in this. What needs to change is the companies. And what's going to change the companies is where they get their money from. And where they get their money from is the fund managers or it's the institutional investors or it's the wealth managers. And that's why I think that so much of this like, basically is in the hands of investment managers because they're marketing ESG, sustainable funds, but they're putting like Coca-Cola in it and Coca-Cola aren't changing because they're the ones who have the money, our money, they must be the ones to push the rules. And that used to be, you know, the job of governments, but I honestly, I'm not sure what's happened to our government. I think they're just being owned by the banks. So um, there's there's like a double triple responsibility on finance and I think whichever path you go down it all leads to the same place which is that we need investment managers and finance managers to just do the right thing for the planet for god's sake it's our money like we have the technology we know how to make renewable energy we have the money we've like effectively given them a shopping list saying buy stuff that's good for the planet 
given them the money and then they've just gone off and bought something different <laughs> they've just gone off and bought stuff that's bad for the planet and nobody cares and when people protest like um extinction rebellion or just stop oil then we're all like oh those terrible protesters silence them like what so yeah i'm putting all of my pressure my loudest voice on the investment managers and the fund managers really and i think that's what the press need to do right now like all of us we need to just tell the truth as it is and the truth is that investment managers need to do better There is a lot packed into that last um, yeah. five minutes, but I, I I cannot agree more. And I'm learning new things, jaw dropping. Um, I'm sorry for those who are just listening because you couldn't see the visual. Let's <laughs> switch for a, a, a second. But thinking back to everything you've written, you talked about ESG, greenwashing. You've also written quite a bit yourself as well as for others on FinTech, on, gosh, everything literally <laughs> what are some of your most favorite moments oh my god okay so some of my favorite moments I got to write for the banker uh last year which is the I remember FT, that one yes uh, an FT publication and that was always one of my big dreams to be an FT writer so I was just over the moon to do that and I got to write two bankers in the banker about basically like what I think that they're doing wrong what I think that they're not paying attention to and it was like delicious it was invigorating it was honestly like one of the best moments ever so that made me so happy um being recognized as like blogger of the year that was that was huge um just but to be honest every single time I just get to like tell a story or tell a truth and someone reads it that changes my life and quite often I get um like fund managers or investment managers who comment on what I've written and that just makes me so happy because like if just like one percent of investment managers just change one percent of their ESG funds I mean that's billions you know so just having the opportunity to make a small impact is probably the most rewarding thing. What about what about for you, Thea? I love everything you said. Um, I, I I remember I did I did two pieces for Harvard Business Review on AI. Um, mm-hmm. That was back in I think 2018, 2019, and mm-hmm. that was that was. One of the moments I love the most because, like, oh my God, that's a publication I read, um, and it's and it's um, it's something on a topic. It was on AI and finance and algorithms, um, and it was a topic I'm fat, passionate about. I've been wanting to actually do a master's degree in AI, and of course, my kids opposed to it. They said, you know, you're, you don't have enough sleep. Go stop, stop thinking about wanting to do another degree. But um, it's something hopefully I will be able to get to do soon. But you are so right. The part about being able to tell a story mm-hmm. and being able to have people that come to you with their feedback. I mean, you know, we can't change 
the entire industry. I think that that's that's really difficult and probably impossible. But if we could, through our words and our actions, change the hearts and minds of a few, and then they go out and change the hearts and minds of a few, I believe in in network effect. Um, and and then hopefully we will be able to bring it back a tad bit uh, from where it is yeah. right now, which is complete derailment. I I don't know. It's it's, it's difficult. Um, <clears throat> it almost feels the task is too big. But as you said in the very beginning, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? Right? Exactly. Exactly right. Like, I don't mind if you come at me and you tell me that I'm completely wrong. In fact, I would be quite happy <laughs> to be proved wrong about these things. Like, if you don't agree, if you're an investment manager and you don't agree with what I've written and you're telling me that it's wrong, like, tell me. I've had that once or twice. You know, I've got into like quite heavy debates with people. I would a million times rather that you read what I what I have to say and what I researched and then you form an opinion then you know to just get ignored so it means the world to me when anybody at all reads my blog or takes the time to like form an opinion on it because otherwise like how how else are we gonna how else are we gonna get things done if people don't criticize it's the job of the press to criticize and right now we need that more than ever And critical thinking and see that's why my friend you are the blogger of the year Congrats oh. <laughs> to that again um so who do you have any specific let's say financial institutions or banks that you think are doing something right let's celebrate the positive moments um what what do you think we can learn from those yeah i think uh do you know triados yeah um, I think Triodos are doing like a brilliant job because they just straight in from the start came in and said, no, we're not going to invest in anything that harms the planet. So even their savings accounts are like helping the planet. And that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. Um, but they sort of started from that perspective. So in some ways, it's easier for them. Um, whereas there's other banks like in the UK, we have NatWest which is um, run by Alison Rowe. And that was used to declare themselves the bank for oil and gas around 2008. They were the bank for oil and gas. They were called RBS then, I think. And they were like a really, really dirty institution. And then in the last few years, they've just said no. And they've really, really focused on just investing in like renewable energy and they've massively decreased um, what they invest in oil and gas, I I don't even know if they still invest in it, to be honest. And they've really focused on empowering women. And that tells me that it is possible, you know. It definitely is. There's another um, energy company, which is super famous, called Orsted. And they used to be, like, super dirty, like, just pumping out all this, like, gross pollution. And they just decided that they weren't going to do it anymore. And then they transformed themselves into the most sustainable company in the world. Not the most sustainable energy company in the world, the most sustainable company. And it took them like less than 10 years. And that tells me that anyone can do it. Any company really can turn themselves into something that's a positive force for the planet. And then not to make things negative, but that means that there's no excuse 
for the companies who say they're going to do it and still haven't done it after 20 years. What about you? What's your favorite um, fintech for banks at the moment? I like I like those. Um, I like also in the in the U.S. There are a few small institutions that focus on either more a community uh, perspective, right? Bringing in people, focusing on women, focusing on immigrants, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> refugees. Uh, Sunrise was one of the the companies that we featured in the last book, Beyond Good. Um, they're mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Aspiration, um, Andre Cherney. That's another great one. The 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 one problem I do have with our industry, unfortunately, is we tend to look at these as a one off. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to call them the niche. And to be honest, I don't think there is anything niche about it. Focusing on women who are more than 50% of the planet is not niche. Focusing on something that is important for not just our generation, but the generations thereafter is also not niche. So I have a problem with picking on words on what people say. This is like niche focus or niche banking. It shouldn't be. This should be something that all of us need to think about. This should be part of everything that we do, period. Yeah, that's actually like my biggest problem as well. Like when I go to um, fintech conferences and things like that, there's like a little sad stage on the side and it has like a a fern on it, you know, and that's the green stage. And that's where they talk about things that are good for the planet, right? That, you know, we all live on this planet. This isn't just like, this isn't just the planet belonging to a few people. We all need to breathe. We all need a place to live. <laughs> like, I don't know why this isn't extremely obvious to everybody that if we don't have a planet, then there's no point investing in all these companies and making all this money. And I'm starting to wonder now if people just willfully block it out because, you know, sometimes when you have a problem that's just too big, then you sort of don't want to see it. So I I just wonder if the whole industry is doing that or if the people at the top are just so far removed because, you know, they have they have their like bunkers in New Zealand and stuff and they they don't need to worry. Like um the oh what was he? I think his name's Kirk, one of the ESG managers at HSBC said that he didn't care if Miami went underwater. Did you see that? Yeah, like that level of being far removed. But there's something going on there, like, because this is mainstream. Of course, it's mainstream. It's the planet that we all live on. Like, I can't think of anything more important than saving the planet. I mean, what's more important than that? Sorry, but your profit margin just doesn't matter as much as, like, the entire planet does. I, I cannot agree more. Um, I think it was two years ago at Cybos, um, and I said the future of money is not about whether or not it's digital currency or paper money. The future of money is about purpose, is about value, is about having clean air to breathe and clean water to consume, because that is that is the basic, right? If we can't yeah. even take care of the basic, it does not matter what what money looks like because money what are you going to buy when we can't breathe i mean how are you going to count your money if you can't breathe exactly you don't get very far would you so 
I really think that we just need to like recalibrate our risk. Someone called Zoe Cohen, who's like a bit of a hero of mine, said that to me. We need to recalibrate our risk. Like what is more important actually than the planet right now? Nothing. And that's that's really why I do what I do because I I know that I could get sued. Like obviously if any one of these banks or BP or anyone else wants to throw their legal team at me, I mean, I'd be crushed, you know, I'd be behind bars for life, probably. But it doesn't matter, because in the grand scheme of things, like, one one person is not that important. We all need to use our loudest voices to put an end to this. And that's why I think that we shouldn't be too polite or too sensitive about it or, you know, worry about hurting their feelings or, oh, no, what if I upset my boss and all these, like, daddy issues come into play. No, just, like... Just say it like it is. If they're destroying the planet, then they need to be told in easy to understand words. And you've got to shame people a bit. Otherwise, they're not going to change. A lot of the people at the top, not to be rude, but they're quite narcissistic, aren't they? They care about how they look. And if that's the only way to get them to change, well, then sign me up. I'm going to do it. I do do it. And they need more than a, a sad little fern um, to dress it up. <laughs> I cannot unthink that now. Before, I, I have, a, oh my God, I have so many stories too on that. But I don't want to occupy the time because there's one more thing I, I, I do want to ask you before, before we go. You do a lot of writing. In mm-hmm. our industry, a lot of people are very, very excited about having bots. Mm. right having bots to create i have my personal opinion on what the bots can and cannot do what is that Uh, i well i mean just just looking at what i've been able to play with so far right you know the bots does not know me the bot think i'm someone else most of the time when i tap into the bot and you know ask them to write something about me is not always correct. I'd say actually almost every time it was incorrect. Um, I wrote a piece recently on, on FinTech Futures about how I fed uh, passages of, of my last piece into the bot and the bot say, it wrote it. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure you did not. And I did the same with um, Leaders Post, with uh, Chris Skinner, with Jim Roos, with Damash and everyone that, you know, close friends of ours. And the bot said they wrote everything. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure you did not. And so just for kicks, I did it with an Economist article and a Wall Street Journal article. And the bot also said it wrote it. The funnier thing is some of the verses in the Quran, when I put it in, Uh and ChatGPT said, yes, it wrote it. Like, okay, all right. There's got to be a stop in the hallucination. This is funny, but not so funny anymore because... What's going to happen when you use that as a tool to advise money on, to advise people on what they should do with their money, mm-hmm. with their life, with healthcare procedures, with everything, right? Those things matter. Jokes, yeah, okay, yeah. fine. It's silly, but I, I, I think I, I, this is not meant to say stop mm-hmm. trying. By all means, we need to figure out how we can use the technology for good. I'm a big fan of it. But mm-hmm. that also means that we need to have guardrails. You can't just roll the tool out with an asterisk and say, hey, it's not ready. Well, 
security center debt to the public. That is a little bit irresponsible to say. Um, it also means, you know, for those who are guardians of people's assets need to be even more careful, right? Because yeah. who, whose responsibility would it be when things go haywire? Um, recently there was a news article about a, uh, a health site that is supposed to help people with eating disorder and they unleashed an AI chatbot. That bot ended up giving advice on people on how to diet. Oh no. And so they had to pull it out. And and so if something happens, right? Because because you know eating disorder it, it's a serious thing. People can mm. die from it. Yeah. And so if something does go haywire, is it the responsibility of the healthcare site? Is it responsibility of whoever created that bot? Is it mm. responsibility of the programmers? Like, so there are a lot of things that I feel like tech can do, but you need to be more thoughtful on what you can do. And, you know, let alone like all of the news about British Telecom saying they're going to lay off 42% of their workforce by end of 2040. Mm. Uh, or no, actually, end of 2030. In a few years, they're planning to lay off 42% of workers because they think they can gain that much efficiency out of AI. Well, laying off people, increasing productivity is one thing. What are you going to do with the people that you're laying off? Do you have a pathway for them to do something else, right? That's the responsibility part. Um, but curious to hear from you because, you know, you're a writer. <laughs> content, creating content and having an opinion is you, is all you. I don't yeah. think the bot can, can take that away. What should we do as a society, um, yeah, I agree with you that like just because we can do something, it doesn't mean we should do it, right? I can go up to an old lady in the street and punch her in the face. Doesn't mean that I should do it, right? So I think that we do have to be careful with this like this incredible technology. I mean, you can't get away from the fact that it is amazing. I mean, amazing. But what is it actually like going to be in the same way that, you know, hands are amazing. They do loads of great things. But what is it actually going to be used for? Because if it's going to be used for punching old ladies in the face, maybe we should take a step back and think about it. So I'm more worried, to be honest, about the effect it's going to have on our brains. Um, not to get all spacey, but I think the process of learning things from for ourselves and creating is like a big part of being human, you know. And I read these articles about how kids, I sound so old, kids today, but kids today are like, um, you know, doing their homework, like on ChatGBT, like, hey, ChatGBT, do my homework for me. And like, what is that doing? And I just read an article as well about how you can cheat on your partner with this um, AI. Have you heard of it? It's, oh, I've forgotten the name. It begins with an R. Anyway, it's like a AI that will like, succumb to all of your like weird kinks and whatever you want and it sends you like little like memes and emojis like hey thinking of you love you all of that stuff and people have actually left their relationships over it crazy right I think that it's messing with our brains quite a lot and it would be such a shame to to lose those like neural pathways that you build over being creative or solving problems 
Because imagine like me and you now, we've had to study everything. We've had to read every single word. God knows how many people we've spoken to or articles we've read. I mean, you've written books. That's crazy. How many books did you have to read to write a book? And you'd be a completely different person if you just put ChatGBT, write me a book, right? Or there are some tools that I saw recently that basically you can feed it huge stacks of, you know, um, research paper and it summarizes for you. But, you know, the thing is you have to read what people write and come to your own conclusion. You can't just read based on summary and say, oh, here you go. I read the book. No, you did not. You read what the bot thinks you want to hear and what it thinks are the important things about the book. And how many times do we say, you know, oh, Amazon doesn't know me because they recommend something that, you know, I'm not interested in or Netflix and and all of that. You have to, as humans, and and you're absolutely right, part of being human is that, is is our brain, is how we synthesize information and how we draw conclusions and figuring out what matters to us, not what a bot thinks matters to us. Yeah, it's such a big part of being human, you know, like, creating art and feeling experiences and just like what like what is actually the point of being alive I don't know but I'm I'm pretty sure it's not to just tell chat GBT to do everything for you I mean I I love the process of learning and I have to scan through research papers I'm sure you do too um a tip for anyone who does that is if you just press like control f and type in the word you want and you just like can scan through all the times that word is mentioned in the document. Do you do that? I, I do it with percentage points usually. I put the percentage mark and then I read every percentage in the document. And when I found one that's interesting, then I read that whole page. Okay. I learned a new trick from you. Okay. Because <laughs> I normally, I, I, my brain can't read more than a page or two on the computer. I can't. So that's why all my blocks are less than a thousand words. I can't focus. I need a book, um, like <laughs> literally you, you paper book. Yeah, I need paper book. So it's it's um it it it's much more time consuming, but that's the only way I can digest things. Uh, I know old school. <laughs> Just like I when I'm talking to you it. now, I have to write. I can't like if I type, I don't remember things. So, um, but I think it's lovely, like the process of writing. And I also read an article recently saying that. Um, kids like handwriting is becoming slowly more and more of a lost art handwriting is getting you know a bit basic now it's not like that beautiful handwriting our grandparents had it's getting more and more (laughs) more and more clunky and I just think oh I hope we don't lose everything because because it's such a pleasure to to write you know or well writing is my thing but you know to someone else it might be drawing or creating Art is such an important part of our life. So I'm not too worried about, I mean, I'm a bit worried, but not too worried about my own job. There will always be people who want, you know, content done on ChatGBT or, to be honest, those are the people who don't pay their copywriters anything and they don't care about quality. So they're not the kind of people I'd want to really work for anyway. But I worry on a more macro scale about what it's doing to our brain. But I wonder, do you think that it could be used to help fix the planet? If it doesn't destroy it in the meantime, right? So there are two sides. Um, I've been reading, people said, yes, it could, you know, be used 
for good, like, you know, detecting fraud and cybersecurity, finding out ways that we can be more efficient in our operations, thereby helping with the planet. The problem is training those models also consumes a lot of energy, a lot of power, and a lot of water. Uh, I think water use on data center is is becoming a huge problem. And especially Mm -hmm. now we're seeing many places where they just don't have enough water. Recently, um, Arizona said that they have to limit issuing new licenses for new construction around Phoenix because they just don't have enough water. Um, they they rely on the water sources is, is from the river as well as from underground. And because of the growth they have had in recent years, they realize, wait a minute, that added to climate change and droughts, they mm-hmm. won't be able to sustain themselves, right? And and I think we're going to start seeing more and more. We already see, um, I remember when we were writing Beyond Good, I started getting obsessed with water use in India and mm-hmm. China and how they're sharing some of the water resources. And as resources dwindle, that can lead to political unrest. So I think there is a yeah. lot more chain reaction that we're not thinking yeah, through. Did yeah. you think Microsoft have been um, putting their data centers in the sea? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. That really, um, that really upset me actually because Microsoft get more money than any other company in the whole world from sustainable investors. They're the number one ESG company. So we're supposed to be paying them to make our planet better. And they have a lot of information about, oh, you know, we're making the planet so much better and a lot of pledges. But actually, they put their data centers in the water off Norway. I think it's off Norway, but I can send you a link. And literally, it just heats up the sea. And the whole, like, the whole point of this, I feel like smashing my head against the keyboard sometimes. The whole point of this is that we need to keep the sea cold because we need the ice caps to not melt. Not the other way around. Yeah. So, if like, when the planet warms, what happens is that, you know, more rain eventually, like, goes in the sea and then the ice, because the ice caps melt, right? But, like, you shouldn't be doing it directly. You shouldn't be directly putting a radiator, a giant radiator, into the sea, obviously. And they say, you know, oh, it's a success because, you know, our data centers are cooler and it's less expensive. Right. But the way you measure success is so detrimental to the planet. And Microsoft, I know you know a lot more about this than me, but Microsoft are one of the people who invested, I think it was 96 billion into the metaverse, which is also going to create like a lot of carbon emissions. So the data centers are creating like global warming. The metaverse will create carbon emissions. And I just kind of feel like, guys, if we're going to use this technology, can we at least use it for good? Instead of to like, like, we're going to end up like, you know, that Disney film Wally? Do you know the one I mean? Yes, I remember Wally. Um, and and I fear that we that might be the future we're marching towards, um, which is which is not the best because again, I don't think you and I would see the impact of it as much as the rest of the people mm-hmm. who are living in countries that are more impacted. Um yeah. And 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 there in it lies the problem, isn't it? Because they don't necessarily have the same voice 
at the table. They don't have the same weight in what they see, but they're the ones who bear the blunt. Yeah, they don't have a voice. Like they just don't have a voice. So we have to be their voice, right? Like obviously you like with your books and like fintech for good and telling everyone like what can be done and what should be done. Me having a go at investment managers. But everybody, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast or anybody who might be friends with someone who listens to this podcast, whatever your loudest voice is, use it, like use it to do something, even if it's just like calling up your bank and saying, I don't want you to invest in oil or calling your pensions company. That's a really good one. And saying, I don't want to invest in oil. Make like do something like anything. If you do anything, it's better than nothing. And you genuinely like could save the world like Superman. You could be Superman with a phone call. So that's really what I try to tell everyone. Just just like do something, like stop it from happening before it happens, you know? Be Superman with a phone call. I think that's what I'm going to call this episode and be the voice for the voiceless because it is our collective responsibility. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hannah. I feel like we need a part two and part three and I cannot wait to see you in person. So thank you. Appreciate your time and please do keep writing because we need more. We need more of you. Thank you so much, Leo. Thank you so much. And for the rest of our audience, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.